Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast for Love Welter Stage 2. Sometimes you have to eat your greens before you have the main course or dessert. And that's sort of what this stage is. If we're up being frank with you, it's just fine. I'd, what I don't like in cycling yeah. is what I think is a good parkour, is what I think some teams should be doing things exciting, and nothing happens. That's the worst. Because yeah. you sit there, you're tuned in, you're watching. If you see this break go in this stage and you sit there and watch for three hours, I'm sorry. It's on you. <laughs> like <laughs> it's on you watch the last 10ks um so you can't be tricked i i'm, yep. I'm happy not being tricked uh but yeah it's just another sprint stage benji olvega to zaragoza it starts at 1000 meters finishes at 200 meters so they descend off the plateau there's two rolling climbs in it. it it even goes downhill for the first 30ks there's an intermediate sprint with 20ks to go where there's bonus seconds plus sprint points which curious they put them together in the Giro. they're separated as two different sprint points, and then there's a flat sprint in the town of Zaragoza, or city rather, as a big sweeper. It finishes on a slight left-hand, uh, curving left-hand bend, but not breaking, just a curve uh, with about 200 meters to go. And yeah, there's a big left-hander with about a K to go as well, but enough time to move up position. So what do you think of this stage, Benji? Maybe a break? <laughs> It's going to be a filler episode the second that that it started. And yeah. like w- when it started and we saw the breakaway form, it was a two-man breakaway today. It's a bull from Burgos BH and uh, Abel Balderstone. His name is so English for a Spanish guy. So he must have some like, some like grandpa or grandma that's from the UK. But this dude was also in the breakaway, a two-man breakaway. And we saw opposite control behind. And I was like, oh, this is going to be a day like that. I'm going to do some other stuff. I'm going to do my taxes or stuff like that. And uh, I got started with doing my admin and I had it on the on the background on TV just so I could hear if something ha- interesting happened. And nothing interesting happened until we got to the intermediate sprint. That's where I swear I saw nothing for the first 130k of the stage, which is fine, which is good. Like you said, I wasn't watching fully anyway, so it's not like I I tortured myself into that. But going towards the intermediate sprint, who do you expect to go for this? Because Tomorrow's the Trumale stage. Are they going to be willing to spend a little bit of energy? Probably not too much to go for a sprint like this. It's a slightly downhill sprint. Will that affect riders that go for it? Because like, even Groves, his points before the stage when it comes to the uh, the actual green jury points was 158 with roughly 79 points, double the points of Adam Kuevenepoel. And when I see that, I'm also like, does Groves even need to go for it anymore? Can you yeah. just save for the sprint because it's 19k from the finish line? And he fully went for it this time too, not like the one where he just got on Remco's wheel. He like he properly gapped Roglic, so he really opened up the taps. Whether that made a difference, it also makes a difference. Maybe not for him, but his team. His team yeah. have to accelerate. A lot of his riders who he needs in the lead out, they have to do a 
a lead up before whilst Rui Oliveira or Milano or DSM with Dainese, they're not doing anything. They're just chilling in the peloton. Whether that, you know, tw they then have, because then they got to fight for position, right? From 10Ks to go. So they only have 12 minutes recovery from the intermediate stretch. It's not yeah. that long to recover. Fit guys can do it, obviously, but yeah, it's, uh, I was surprised to see them like do a proper lead up for it. Maybe. Because he's gonna come, he's gonna take point. He's gonna come top three anyway, like yeah. just by existing, um, <laughs> like he did with the Remco one. So yeah, uh, Boulderstone, as you said, like he looks Scottish. Uh, he's got all Irish. He looks Scottish. He's got red hair, really pale. Um, Stereotypes so, one on one. <laughs> well, I mean, man, the guy doesn't look Spanish, and he's called Boulderstone. I think. <laughs> he's, I don't think it's too far back that he's not. <laughs> <laughs> Not from the Castilian the Castilian Empire. I think he's from the UK or Ireland. Um, yeah, I'm not. I'm not a. I don't work for Ancestry.com in my spare time, but I reckon we can guess. Anyway, like yeah, those guys got cool. I mean, would you Yeti Bowl? Like, it's a pretty thankless task. Is it worth it? I guess if you're a Burgos BH and Gacha, you might want to have your. Team plastered on TV for the uh, limited amount of people that are still watching when this when this breakaway is on the road. But outside of just being an exposure breakaway, I don't really see the point necessarily because, like you, like you also said, like it's only the intermediate sprint with 19k to go, and by then you're probably caught already. So it's not like there's a, a K1 point somewhere where you can take some points or something like that. There's no real incentive to be in the breakaway outside of exposure breakaways. And yeah. I guess if you're a Spanish team that can slip through the cracks and that can be fine for those teams. But that's why we have a limited breakaway as well. And yeah, there, there was no real... Um... Should other teams be trying harder? I mean, we, we don't watch break formation because it's not televised, so we don't know. But it's like the Tour of Britain. Should other teams be trying harder? They're not really given anything. There's nothing in the parkour. Yeah. It's just not enough. Like, they, they didn't put any climbs in at all. I agree with that. And yes, Alpecin is going to try and control the breakaway formation phase. And then it depends on how many people you can get together to attack the peloton from all the other teams combined to be able to form a dangerous breakaway in the first place. And that's hard on a, on a flat start, for example. And if you don't think about the extra factor of having to cooperate with other teams without knowing whether they will actually do it. For example, I am team A. Team A is interested in going in the breakaway because they don't necessarily have the fastest sprinter. I don't know what team B, C, D, E, F, G, and H are doing on this stage. So I'm like, how oh, we've got a B-Tech sprinter. Might as well go for him, because I don't believe these other teams will go in the breakaway. Do you feel like teams are just not gambling enough on seeing whether other teams are willing to do the same? Yeah, like, again, it's hard to say, because we haven't seen the break formation. Um... So maybe they are trying really hard. My guess would be the answer is no. Um, they just decide that there's nothing in it, and it's a well. Maybe if it's the tour they try, but then in the tour everyone just was happy to work with Alberson too. Maybe I mean for UAE it's different because they're not going to pull, and Milano yeah. has a chance. For DSM maybe. I mean yeah maybe, but for every other team, you really. You're not going to win the stage unless, I mean, you guess Jeffrey Soup won a sprint, so things can happen, but there's not the same corner in this parkour, so yeah. it should be one of the strongest sprinters winning. Anyway, uh, we go into the sprint. 
<laughs> it, to be honest, it looks like an absolute Alperson clinic, clinic for the most part. Oh, yeah. Did you specify Roglic taking four seconds and how that adds up in GC? Because how close is he I now after those four seconds? Because he is 23 seconds behind even a pool now. He was 27 seconds behind. Okay. So that's a bit closer now. <laughs> but yeah. uh, I feel like they, they did that lead out with Trotnik and Sforv. No credits to Crosper Peterson there for Quickstep because he ended up failing to take away the seconds from Roglic while trying to do that sprint in that intermediate sprint. So instead of having Remco sprint for it, Quickstep basically said, Casper, you're going to sprint to try and take points, uh, seconds away from the competitive GC riders and Roglic took it anyway. So that was a bit of a failure on that end. But it was, it was pretty chaotic, that sprint. It was like a motorbike involved at a certain point because the, the motorbike was on the left side of the road. I don't know how close to the riders that was because once again, the TV director was amazing at their job to the point where it cut away from the intermediate sprint between like 800 meters to go and 150 meters to go. So you've got that moment of sitting there of like, are they actually going to miss the intermediate sprint again? Are they going to miss it again? And then finally they turned it back and we actually saw what happened, which was like you mentioned, Groves, Roglic, and then third rider was Kasper Peterson. Anyway, sprinting time. Sprinting time and Alperson is taking control into the sprint. They've got a solid amount of riders there. I feel like Trek was doing a good job keeping turns up there as well. I think Mosca yeah. was the rider that was trying to do that. Mosca even switched to doing the actual lead out ahead of Alperson for a bit once turns had settled himself in the wheel of Groves as well. But Yui was kind of missing. Yui kind of got, got squashed backwards with a kilometer to go, I think. Well, there was just this hectic fight for Groves' wheel, which makes sense. This reminds me a lot of when Cavendish was winning everything in the Tour in 21. And he said, if you want to beat me, you have to have do your own lead out. You can't just sit on my wheel. And I think that's true. Yeah. If you just sit on Groves' wheel, like you're not winning anyway, are you? If you just let him get the perfect lead out and then you try and beat him from his wheel, are you, if you're Moran Vandenberg, are you going to beat Groves? Probably not. And Milano so could. Depends on the day. Milano, maybe if Groves goes too early. They're close enough. But there was this huge fight on the left, Rui Oliveira said, and lots of elbows. Dainese, Vandenberg, huge fight, trying to get Edward Turns off Groves' wheel. And it <laughs> looks like when you're doing the numbers for Alperson, I'm like, 700 meters to go, third last guy goes, nice. 500 meters to go, second last guy still opening up. Robbie Hayes doesn't have to jump until 400. He only has to do 225, and Groves is getting a perfect lead out round a bend at 175. He's going to win this easy. But what happens is, out of nowhere, Milano was ahead of Oliveira, lets Oliveira come back in front of him, opens the gap, and Oliveira initially builds momentum like the track rider that he is in the saddle. From gets, how far starts, back? Far. They were like 10th wheel. They yeah. were deep, and they were behind. Every, they were behind Dainese, Vandenberg, and Turns and comes up the open right side. I think he said the wind, they were a bit protected from the wind. I don't know exactly. And then he winds it up, gets level with Alperson, but now he's already going quick from in the saddle as Robbie Hayes is trying to get up to speed. And Hayes, he's done some good lead outs, but today he did not. Today he, he had no zip, and yeah. Oliveira does exactly what he should do, comes up, then starts doing a lead out properly out of the saddle, sprinting, closes like safely, but closes in front of Hayes, plenty of space to do so. Groves is completely boxed because, yeah, yeah Milano doesn't chop him, but the guy, I think Boy Van Poppel following UAE, just bang, shuts, keeps Groves boxed in. 
Desproliere coming together, drops his chain as well. That doesn't help. But he dropped his chain because of this, not because he just dropped his chain. Yeah. And then, yeah, Oliveira does the lead out, perfect lead out uh, around the bend, opens up the inside. Milano's the quickest guy, not named Groves, here and wins easily. That's a, a victory for Milano. And we've seen him uh, win a few stages in Grand Tours already, but this one was very much credited towards Rui Oliveira as well. The way he brought yeah. him up and in the final stretch, without Oliveira there, Milano's not competitive here. Nope. Let that be clear. And it reminded me of the uh, Van Poppel leadouts we've seen last year at the Vuelta, where Bora always had this, this thing where they would come up late with Ryan Mullen, with Van Poppel, and then Van Poppel would do like an acceleration past everyone, and then we'd see Bennett launch from behind, and therefore... Basically, the Van Poppel leadout would wave over the other leadouts that were already kind of towards the end of their leadout. And that's kind of what happened today. Robert Hayes was at the end of his leadout and Oliveira just yodeled past him. And the thing about the other sprint is like, Turns was in a position where he was semi-competitive this time, but I don't see him beating Groves and, and, and Molano head-to-head -head anyway. And Groves, uh, I, I wasn't sure whether it was a, a chain issue or an unclipped issue when... When watching the when watching the footage, but that definitely hindered a sprint. Would it have changed the result? I don't think so. So no. uh, I reckon the leader for from Oliveira was actually golden today. But Dainese was also involved until like 400 meters to go, and this was a weird one. I want you to um to watch this if you didn't notice it, Patrick, in like uh in an hour or something. But Dainese in the sprint in the last kilometer was trying to move up on the left side of the Alpecin train with 500 meters to go, with 400 meters to go, and it's like. He was trying to do so, then realized halfway through, oh, this is kind of dangerous. And then turns kind of kept him behind him at the barrier side. And then Dainese is like, oh, fuck this, I'm out. And just drops back <laughs> and just does not compete in the sprint. It was super weird. But that's Dainese's story for today. I'm watching, yeah, I'm watching now. And yeah, he's behind Cantor and he kind of, and it makes sense that he would give up on a lot of sprints because he doesn't get consistent placings. Yeah. Like if he consistently tried all the way to the line against this field, he should be running top 10, even if he is in horrific position. Um, and someone like Aular is actually consistently in better position, but he just has, obviously, Dainese is much quicker. But yeah, when you look at the difference between Milano and Groves at the end, yeah, sure, Groves is coming quicker, but it's three bike lengths. So yeah, Dainese is Wait. a weird one. How will he go? How do you think Dainese will go... Um, after at, at where's he going? Q three six five or Tudor? Uh, Tudor. Jesus Christ! All these teams are the same. I know he's Tudor <laughs> two years. I yes, guess he's indeed. got um, Zylard as the lead out. Is he better than Arvid Decline? Luke will say no. Um, but yeah, maybe he'll go better there. I don't know. The, but yeah. the thing is, like, it's probably a good thing for those teams to have an extra sprinter. I'm gonna yeah. guess that Dainese is not the most expensive rider in the world, even though oh, they're probably paying for a, they're probably paying for a Grand Tour stage winning Two rider. Zero wins, baby. Yeah, and um, not a Vuelta stage win though in this one, that's for sure. But um, regardless of that, when it comes to the sprint, just pretty straightforward. Alpecin got overtaken by Milano's lead out by Oliveira. Milano wins, and and that's that. And but like, Grove still, he, he picked himself up off the floor, which yeah. is what's, that's been the criticism of Ewan, right? Yeah. Ewan just gives up in that position, but Groves is going for the points as well. So he sprinted all the way for second, and he's got a 110 point lead on Milano over double his points, but Milano jumps up 12 positions after today's win. Yeah, that's kind of it, no? What else can that's we say it. about the stage? Just another sprint. <laughs>
tomorrow stage. They're real interesting. So I don't mind having this sort of stage because tomorrow stage should be a lot of action. Should be. Stage 13 from Formigal in Spain. They cross the Spanish-French border uh, over the Puerto de Portalet. 4.4Ks, 5.4%. A long HC climb descent into Laurent, which is where he or she won, which is where in, in 2020, which is where Jonas... Uh, where Hindley won this year, where Jonas took time on Marie Blanc, but they don't do the Marie Blanc, they do the Col d'Orbisque, 16.6k, 7%. These climbs will all be familiar to you, Tour de France aficionados, who maybe have continued on with us in the Vuelta. Um, welcome, welcome, glad to have you here. Then short descent, uh, false uh, sort of little climb, 2k, 5%, then another continues on into Le Gonc. Uh that's definitely not how to say it. Col de Spandel, also from the 2022 Tour de France, Category 1 climb, 10.4 case, 8.1%. So for reference, Orbisque will be um, 50 minutes, probably, because they won't do it full gas, we think. And then Spandel is about 30 minutes, uh, and it's a little bit steeper on average. Then the, the stepped descent on Spandel, that's the one before Altacam where Pagacha crashed uh, and Vingard waited for him. Then a near 20k valley, including an intermediate sprint. There's a bonus gate on top of Spandell mm -hmm. to encourage people to sprint and attack. And uh, then the Col du Tourmalet, 18.8k, 7.4%. Pretty regular, but the last two Ks are near enough 10% at over 2,000 metres. So very hard finish, very hard stage. That's all jam-packed in 135Ks. What's happening? What's happening? To, to go into that, I feel like we need a, a quick reminder of the GC standings. Yes. Sepka's 26 seconds ahead of Marc Soler from UAE, so one Yumbo rider already said. Then Evnepoel in third on 109. Roglic is now on 132 after the bonus seconds that he got, so a bit close towards Evnepoel. So that's a second Yumbo rider, but still a 20, 23 seconds roughly behind Evnepoel. Lenny Martinez is in there, but I don't expect him to necessarily stay in that top five. João Almeida is sixth on 216, so that's 40, 44 seconds behind Roglic. Then Jonas Vingo is still there on 222. That's already a minute and 13 seconds behind Evenepoel. So that's the third Jumbo Visma rider. Three riders in the top seven. Juan Ayuso is still there on 225. Enric Mas on 350. And I'll leave it at that for now. And I want to talk about Jumbo Visma first. As in, they've got those three riders. So Sepka's in the lead, 136 down is Roglic, 222 down is Jonas Vingega. How do they play a stage like this? And there's two options here. Either you, you make it really hard and you go all out, which don't necessarily expect them to do it, but I hope them to do it. Which, that scenario would go as followed. You look at this parkour, you see Portalev first, like, little bump at the start of the road with the major descent afterwards. That's short to have a breakaway formation already establish a breakaway. So I don't expect the break to form in those four kilometers. I'd say maybe in the descent, some groups go, but I'd expect the actual break to form on the obisque. So that's number one. If you do want to play with satellite riders, if you then put a rider in the breakaway and then you look at Spondel as a, as a launching point, you've got only 40 kilometers from the bottom of obisque to the start of Spondel to let the gap of the breakaway grow substantially. And you need that to be substantial if you want to get your satellite rider to the top of Spondel where your GC leader might attack. So it's going to be hard, in my opinion, to establish a satellite rider with a solid enough gap to be able to get over the top of Spondel and help an attacking Yumbo leader in the valley that comes afterwards. What's your first take on that? 
Yeah, I think I think you're right because okay, say break goes on that initial 4K, it's only 10 minute climb, but then Hugh Carthy wants to be in that break. Yeah, Kana Brooks probably wants to be in that breakaway. Uh, who else? Lenny. Like every, <laughs> if I look at the David de la Cruz, he wants to be in that breakaway. Steph Kras, Wittrago, Kemna, Rubio, uh, all these fringe guys, and so. You know, and then, and then quick step at Yumbo UAE, they're going to be like, because it's not like the tour. Remember now, the tour, Jonas and Pogaccio beat the shit out of everyone so badly in stages five and six that there was huge gaps. But there yeah. actually isn't that big a gap to Vlasov in 10th. From Kus, it's 314. From, Ving- from Roglic to Vlasov, it's 90 seconds. Whereas, so in the tour, Yumbo could be like, I don't give a fuck if even the fifth guy on GC, <laughs> who was fifth in GC? I don't remember, my dude. <laughs> I don't know. Um, goes in I the breakaway. I got fifth. Well, no, no, no Calderlos. Great example, Calderlos. Okay, that was a couple of stages later. What are we, stage 13 or stage 17? But stage 17, fourth got in the break. Sixth yep. got in the break. Like Yates, uh, Simon Felipe, that is. Pale Bilbao, David Gadu. Yama didn't care. Um, and so it's different here. So that, that's an extended way of saying maybe break formation is a little bit trickier because they can't be so laissez-faire with who goes in it. And yep. will, but will Vlasov want to jump? For sure, Carthy and De La Cruz and Adderbrook, Kras, Petrago should. Um, and then you're right. But then who's going to pace your bisque? Then who's going to pace your bisque? Well, the, the thing is like, Yumbo, if you got a satellite route in the breakaway, you don't want to pace your bisque. Because mm-hmm. you want that gap to extend as much as possible before Spondel. If you want to attack with a, a Vingo at the top of Spondel, for example. Because then you can have some action in the valley with, a lead, with your leader ahead, with a domestique. But they don't want anyone to pace there. So if I see, if, if I'm quick step and I see that Yumbo has a rider in the breakaway, I pace Obisk. Because I want the gap to be so little for Spondel that they can't use their satellite rider and do it okay. that way. Okay, so you're going you're gonna to burn Cataneo and Vavaka on the Obisk? I don't think Cataneo and Vavaka already. Well, you're not... Who the, is there someone else I'm missing on their team that's <laughs> going to pace quicker than a strong climbing breakaway on the Obisk? Well... Did they, did they bring Ilan? <laughs> like, you... you Carsten Pedersen, the Seri, they're not going to go quicker than Petrago, man. You, you, need, you need Cataneo for Spondel. That's 100%. Yeah. So they, so they got to hope Vivac can do the whole of Obisk then. That's what I'm saying. I think they don't want to do that because that's... You're opening up a can of worms there, aren't you? Yeah, but I honestly believe that Yumbo won't even do what I've just said. They won't pace the Obisk or they won't go in the break? They won't necessarily go in the break. Well, because Wilco's not looked so good. He looked better yesterday. So if Coos can't pull on Tourmalet... Your effect, and you have to use Walter on Spandell or something, and Wilco's no good, you effectively have no domestiques for Tourmalet. So you're right. It's like, will Yumbo just do a BS pace with Hersink on Obisk? Maybe. Um, but that's why I think the break could establish itself reasonably well. Is it going to go all the way? I just don't see it. Like, no. on a short stage like this, I know there's a 20k valley after Spandell, but there's, n- I just, there's no way the break can make it. I, there's no way. A scenario that I see happening as well is like keeping it simple if you're Jumbo Visma, like isolate the riders, the leaders of the opposing teams as much as possible on Spondel, 
and make sure you've got three leaders with something left, like with like a domestique left here or there over Spondel, hoping that other team don't necessarily have that, or if it's just Catanea or something, that it's very limited. And then on the last Turmalay, just play the play the three leader cards. You don't necessarily need to do it on on this Spondel already to blow the race open early, because I feel like the next stage, the the stage. 14 that we have i feel like that's more the one where i'm like oh that's like the raid stage that i'd go all out on the port de la Roe, whatever you call that second last climb that's yeah. the one where i'm like put riders in the breakaway it's got enough time to form a yeah. gap in between and then you try and launch a leader towards that group and then you see how how that happens but i feel like in this stage it's also kind of the first time we get to the big mountain stage no as in we have not seen a stage like this in this in this love no. welta and Maybe, maybe Remco absolutely bottles it. Maybe Roglic bottles it out of nowhere. Maybe Thingol's not as good at the Tour de France at all, which I'm already guessing, but that doesn't necessarily mean that on these major mountain stages, he's weak. So we, we haven't seen that difference. Maybe Jumbo loses one of their leaders tomorrow when we don't know that yet. So that's also a possibility. And there's so many things where a team like Jumbo might still say, okay, let's see what happens on this stage. And then on the next stage, we can go all out for the victory if we see opportunities that arise. Because... Well, yeah. well Yamba don't really... They, you're, they don't really have to do anything tomorrow, do they? They got red. Yeah. Well, they do have red, but if Gus shows any weakness, then their two other leaders are still behind Remco. But not by much. As, as we, we said before, so say Kuz has a problem on Tourmalet, five Ks to go. He's not full cracking, but Remco's stronger. Remco starts pacing. That means... And you said he should just do it, which is basically eat the punishment on one stage and try and knock Kuz out. Say, if he, he has to ride tempo, if Roglic is strong enough, for 5Ks mm -hmm. on Tourmalet, and then you got Bonies, you got the Roglic burst, that gap he has over Roglic could evaporate very fast, and that's the sacrifice to knock Kuz out. So even if Jumbo do have a bad day and lose one of the leaders, I would expect at least one of them to really improve their position because yeah unless all three just are shit um and also let, let's say worst case scenario gc cuz disappears tomorrow which i don't necessarily expect I to don't happen see it. i don't see it either but worst case scenario that happens then that doesn't necessarily mean they're in a shit position that means that they can use cuz in a different way on on the stage afterwards where they can go long on that on that second last climb so i really believe that there's there's no need to go all out tomorrow, but they can if they believe that they can get a satellite rider far enough ahead before the foot of Spondel. I mean, if Kuz loses two minutes tomorrow, they still got to react to react to him if he attacks on the next stage on Aero Mende. Then he's thirty seconds behind yep. Remco. You can't just like let him yes, go. Yes, but then you are more likely see... to chase. Yeah, but I'd rather see their second leader in GC, for example, a Vingegaard, do it then instead of a kiss, because otherwise they're just getting their pawns closer to the other riders in GC instead of trying to surpass them. That makes sense? Yeah. I guess Roglic on long climbs on Bondone earlier this year, not as good. Torini, About that. Yeah. If we take a look at the season, Tireno, it's difficult to say, because Roglic started the season on the back foot, eh? He had a bad preparation into the season, Got to Tireno, even though he wasn't necessarily supposed to ride that because his his recovery was going okay, and then he started on the um 
the the mountain stage was headwind he would never have won Tirreno in my opinion if that didn't get shortened plus if the headwind wasn't there because he was getting dropped on that climb and he came back because of the headwind and because he's fucking clever he ended up winning that race because he just plays it better than everybody else yeah. did but regardless of that he won the race so credits to him and he won quite a few stages in that race but then Catalonia for example we see him having a weaker day on La Molina which from that race is the stage with the most energy expenditure then in the Giro Monte Bologna you mentioned it that was also the stage with the majority of energy expenditure, I'd say. But I do kind of feel like that is not necessarily valid data because of the fact that he came back from injury. We don't know. It's impossible to know whether Roglic is actually weaker on energy expenditure or whether he was just that because he was injured at the start of the season. Well, there's kind of a, there is a myth of peak Roglic, right? Uh, if he was, <laughs> there is. It's a myth of peak Roglic. Like, because always he's either had a bad prep or a crash or something like that. And so you're always looking for the, there are these outliers, like 2020, Col de la Lowe's in the Tour. Yep. He was stronger than Pogaccia. And that was, of course, like a very hard stage and a super long climb. And, and then Covadonga, he went with yes. Bernal uh, on Collado Omena. So you're always looking for that peak Roglic, but then sometimes you can get Paranese stage eight Roglic where the elbows get flared out <laughs> and all of a sudden, oh no, you're not going anywhere. So I'd just say, I, don't, I actually don't expect him to have a problem tomorrow. 135k stage, he looks really good. Um, yeah. But he, he has looked really good in the past, dominant, like Paranese 2021 or no, he crashed there. What's a better example? Um... What example are you Tarini, looking for? Tarini, Paranese 2022. Looks so yes. dominant. Then the last stage, all of a sudden, what the fuck? He, he's, he's getting dropped by Simon Yates. Nearly lost the and race. So, you never know. In Bondone, in Angliru, in that one Vuelta, the days that he had his weaknesses, who was there to save his ass? Sepka's by his side. Yeah. If that happens tomorrow, Sepka's ain't waiting for Robert. No, he can't wait for him. So that's also like an, a thing that I... I reckon that probably doesn't play with him mentally until the moment happens, but he won't have that extra support when he does collapse on the final climb. Or, or do we expect Vingegaard to do that? I don't expect it yet. He's too close yet. What do you think the GC standings look like tomorrow? Is Ku <laughs> still in... First question, is Ku still in red? Yes. Is Soler still in second? I reckon... Yes. I think no. Um, you think no? Is Avonapool still ahead of all the quote-unquote GC favorites? Uh, that's a very difficult one. I say yes, but I think his lead will diminish. I think no. Ooh. Is who is strongest <laughs> of the two UAE main leaders? Almeida. Almeida. Yes. Is that because of you so crash? No, I've I've just jumped ship. I'm now flirting you with the Portuguese to Armada Almeida. again. Yes. Sorry, Spain. I'm out. You mean that, that top five <laughs> defensive merchant? Yeah. I, um, I also believe that Turmel is steady enough for him to be able to do it what he does. It is a nice climb for him. So, um, uh, I'm in the Almeida camp again. Sorry, Uzo. Goodbye, my friend. Okay. I'm going to pick Enric Master in this stage. Ooh. Um, I, I think actually believe he'll be good. Yeah. He obviously dogs shit TT. What's new? But... um. <laughs> 
if we if we take a look at Jorette de Cati, fourth, yeah, it's fine, but he lost positions on the descent. He was actually he was with the Avonpool Roglic. Where did he come on Astro on Havalambre? He cracked himself, didn't yeah, he? I think he, he cracked. True, I don't like that. I don't like that. But on the long climbs, I think he's he can be good. He's hot. I I had a working theory before that he's not good on the long climbs. Uh, then he is good on some of them, like the Tour de France 2021. He came fourth on one, and on yeah. Porte the day before he sucked, and Ardennes was good. Uh, Ardennes. So I don't. And really the working know. theory is dead now. Yeah, I just think who knows what could happen. So uh, I like Mars. I think Mars will have a good day. I think he'll he'll move up GC positions. Um. For sure, but I'll just pick him as a big wild card to win the stage. And uh, yeah, I think Coos keeps red, Soler drops down, and um, I don't know about. I think UAE. They'll be passive. There's no way without Vine. How can they be aggressive? I don't see it. I don't see them being active at all. And that's also kind of in the blood of UAE because they're they're gonna be that team that towards the end of the Grand Tour will try. If they are not within reach of the overall victory, they won't try anything crazy. They'll just... I think that's already now. Yeah, I think I think that's currently... Un unless they somehow find a way to better their position where they're fighting for overall, as in the user has a glorious day and comes back like one minute towards everybody else, then, then they can talk about doing a crazy strategy in stage 20 or something to go absolute YOLO. But until then... There's just defensive mode until the finals, see how much you can survive with the other GC riders, and if you're better than them, try and drop them by the end. And that's going to be the strategy for Almeida, for Ayuso, and for Soler, I think, as well. So I don't see them using Soler necessarily in the same way they did in Arinsal, for example. I Maybe he thinks Soler might think, okay, maybe I'm still not marked as much, so maybe he will try at some point on Tourmalet. But I don't see that necessarily as being a long, a long go. But... What I see here is that Quickstep is basically dependent on how Yumbo rides the race and needs to be reactive to how that happens. And there is no good answer on the way they do that, I reckon, because they don't have the all-out strong team. So if Yumbo's in the breakaway, you either put riders in the breakaway as well and hope that that can benefit you that way. Because, like, let's say someone attacks. Let's say they do that satellite rider trick. You see Vingengar attacking at the top of Spondel towards a breakaway where, I don't fucking know, Trotnik's there for some reason. So you've got that duo up there. Cataneo's in the breakaway for quick step. Remco joins. If Remco joins Vingengar in that attack, Roglic has to be in the wheel as well. So that ruins... That just ruins everything of that plan. So uh, the second that Remco responds to Vingengar, then Roglic would have to roll attack and try the same. And... Or cuz, and like, does it make sense what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shibor, if you're a Remco and you had Casaneo ahead, you probably would just uh, let Jonas dangle. You do what you did on Jarrett Cati because you have a rider in front of you, so you just let him dangle. Yeah, and but you, it's, it's you Jonas, though. It's not cuz. Yeah, so but I reckon it's a, it's close a 20k it. valley. Like, unless Jonas can make it to Trotnik in front. But fuck. Like, even, if even he makes so. It, I wouldn't want him to make it to Trotnik, I won't lie. <laughs> he has to hold Tourmalet himself. It's Vingegaard. The dude <laughs> just won the Tour de France. Sorry, but we got to give the guy some credit. <laughs> nah, he's washed. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
<laughs> Seb Kuz is my new my new overlord. Um, Seventeen Danish fans just died. <laughs> nah, he's not washed. Uh, he hasn't had the best stage for him yet, and that's tomorrow. So yeah, we'll see. We'll see. And as you said, of course, if Vingegaard is is moving on a stage like this, you have to take it very very seriously, no matter what's happened before. And he's yeah. he's six seconds behind Almeida. Um, I I'm very interested to see what UAE do, like how defensive they are. Whether I use RMA to work together, we have seen them caught behind on Sierra Nevada last year, where they don't pull and they sat whilst Carapaz pulled Carlos Rodriguez. Am I correct in remembering it was Carapaz who dropped back yes. from the breakaway? And but they didn't. They didn't pull. Almeida will always pull. It was kind of, I, I, actually they attacked Rodriguez one by one. That wasn't too bad in the end, but. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see how, how UAE, how defensive they are. I think they really will just go for points. And I'm not sure whether they believe they can win this welter. Uh, but the winner of tomorrow will be, if the GC standings do not change at all, I think Remco will be the happiest of anybody. This is like, oh, definitely. This is like a box to tick to just get through this because there's three Yumbo climbing leaders all near you, some ahead of you, and it could be carnage tomorrow. Hopefully it is. I think it could be a spectacle. Do we have full coverage? Do we know? Or close to full coverage? Please say yes. I can say yes, but I'm not sure if I'm right. <laughs> as in, I don't know. But I kind of reckon I feel like an Almeida show coming tomorrow. As in, that Almeida... <laughs> that little that, that heart... bullshit attack on the neutralized stage nine got you <laughs> with Lassov. That's, oh, the time trial did, actually. The time trial His was time very trial good. was really fucking good. And yeah, yeah. Like, maybe he's growing into this race, but I reckon all the riders are kind of hoping to do that. Even Vingegaard with his limited prep is probably hoping to grow into the race a tiny bit, unless he's trying to survive from the form he still has from Tour de France, which I doubt that's the case. I reckon it's more the other scenario. But, um... I don't know, man. It's like, so many scenarios can happen, and... Wait, who do you think wins the stage? I picked Mas. Enrique Mas. Almeida? I don't know. Maybe? <laughs> Is that a Fair yes? Fair enough. Okay. Maybe. <laughs> uh, actually, actually, I didn't hear. My internet dropped out. <laughs> I was trying to break I the fourth. Talking. I was trying to not break the fourth wall. But uh, who actually did you pick? You can change <laughs> yeah, it now. I won't even know. Uh, I picked... Um, Almeida. I picked Roglic. Oh, come on. Long climb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Okay. Um... Tomorrow, full coverage apparently starts at one thirty. We mu so I don't know if that is full coverage, uh, but hopefully it is. Uh, let me just check exactly. It is full coverage. So wow, full coverage. You get to see break formation. I feel yay, Ooh, la la. very very happy. Um, I think it's gonna be a cracker. I can't wait to tune in. I uh, hope you enjoyed this podcast, which is mainly a preview of tomorrow's stage. There's a lot about today's stage, and yeah, we'll see you with that cracking recap with surely some big GC gaps tomorrow. Until then. Ciao.